What do you see when you look inside yourself? Inside myself? I see everything. I see all. How much evil is there? As much as you see. What do you see? All of it. You <laughs> put me in a dark, solitary cell. And to you, that's the end. To me, it's the beginning. It's the universe in there. There's a world in there. I'm free. Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a very groovy podcast, but evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week, we're talking about Charles Manson. Uh... <laughs> oh, it took me a second to get what it was. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here we go. That is a sneak peek of our upcoming villain, Scott Bale. (laughs) (laughs) So before we uh, get to the villainous Scott Bale and or Charles Manson, just a quick uh, reminder that if you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes, tweeting at us at podcast but evil dan we have an amazing and recurring guest with us uh yes our first recurring guest happens to be also our first guest that we've ever had on the podcast she's tony randall to our conan o'brien i don't get that reference at all tony randall was on uh, conan's show a lot back in the day back when he was alive anyway (laughs) you know her you love her the ayatollah of rock and rolla Lauren Flans. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> Two references I didn't get. That's exciting. I think that was from Mad Max, uh, The Road Warrior. Uh, All right. Course, we know Lauren from Wild and Out in season two of the very funny Another Period on Comedy Central. And perhaps if you're into podcasts in general, you certainly are aware of coming out with Lauren and Nicole, her podcast, her weekly podcast that features coming out story from across the queer spectrum. Ooh, that was good. I, I, yeah. Is that something? <laughs> so, Lauren, before we get into uh, kind of the meat of the podcast, I'm curious, because I know you had an interest in talking about Charles Manson. I believe I you mentioned a big interest in Squeaky From last time. So my senior year of college, well, no, let me, let's take it back even further. I am a huge Stephen Sondheim fan, like huge fanatic. Was, I was feel like we did his... touch on that in the Jack the Ripper episode. I wouldn't be surprised. I, br- I bring it up whenever possible. And in high school found, because it, you know, it was not, it did not run very long at all. And I believe it never actually made it to Broadway until it was revived. I think it was only off Broadway. But yeah, I I got really into Assassins, his really, really, really great musical about a whole bunch of different wacky people who've tried to kill presidents, sometimes successfully. And sometimes, in the case of Squeaky From, not successfully. So I got really into that album. And then my senior year of college, I got to play Squeaky From in Assassins, which was a huge highlight for me. And I was kind I was a theater major and I was very up my own ass, as most theater majors in college are. And I We're went, nodding. Like, Dan and I are both nodding to that, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> yes, yes. It's, I'm stroking my beard, yes. I can look back on it now with great shame as I should but I went like full method like (laughs) I'm going to immerse myself I read like so much stuff about her and about Manson I used to carry 
a little, um, not a photograph, but this, I'm dating myself, but I had like a photocopy of a photo of Charles Manson What's from a, a book. What's a photocopy? It's a machine that's like a phone, but bigger, and it only does one thing. Oh, um, well, a graph. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah, carried Doug. microfiche of Charles Manson. <laughs> Doug's uh, like, Manson. is that like a wax cylinder? But yeah, I really, I just like, I called the prison that she was at to see if I could like talk to her. Like, I just went like totally yeah. off the deep end. You're like, and from, squeaky you from. got another one. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, she's on the other line with a different kid at a different college. <laughs> but to the point where my director, who I'm still, uh, who I'm still friends with, oh Dan, you know her, Trish, Trish Hadley, yeah, Trish. was who directed me in Assassins, and she finally had like scheduled a like a, a meeting where we went to, I believe, St. Louis Bread Co. Now Panera Bread, and she's like, hey, let's just like have Spare a one on one, let's catch up, and I was like, okay, and. She basically, it was an intervention, essentially, where she was like, I need you to, like, chill out on this a little because you're freaking me out. (laughs) Please stop calling prisons. And then I countered with, I don't feel comfortable playing this role comedically anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which was like the entire point why me, a non-music major at basically a conservatory university, like they gave it to me, a theater major, when like someone who could really sing should have had this role. But they were like, oh, Lauren's funny. Like, she'll be great at this. And then I was like, hey, I'm not going to play this funny because I don't find her a comic character. And I think we should focus on my singing. <laughs> Well, Lauren, uh, believe it or not, we have a weird uh, something in common here because I actually played Charles Manson in a show I did. Shut up! Uh, Yeah, um, a long time ago. Actually, so another friend and former guest of the podcast, Shakina Nafak. Yes! you know her? Okay. I will. She, I listen to that episode and oh, okay. I, follow, I follow her on Twitter. She's a good Twitter follow. Um, so she and I, back in high school, she was doing this drama program. We were still in high school, but this was at UCLA uh, over a summer between our junior and senior years. And she said, Doug, you should come. This will be fun. So we both did it. And they separated us in a group. So we didn't end up doing the same show. I forget what show she worked on, but I was with a group of people that were all doing this like collaborative, super up your ass weird movement piece. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and it came to me, and I'm like, I, you know, that's not really where I shine. Um, <laughs> they said, they said, Doug, you like doing voices and impressions and stuff, so why don't you go out and find three people to impersonate that related to the theme of the show, which was something to do with religion. I forget what. So I thought, oh, like cults, that'll be good. So I'll do like cult stuff. So I, I worked up an impression of the guy from the Heaven's Gate cult, which had just oh, happened. Wow. And, I, and, and Charles Manson. And it goes and, a little something. <laughs> no, uh, but I remember watching, I mean, this watching videos of, uh, yeah. I remember watching videos of Charles Manson to like try and get it down, and it's like, holy he's shit, this so guy just... creepy. Yeah, he's incredibly creepy. Did you see creepy. Doug the link that, that I sent you? Crazy. Of the hmm? Mindhunter episode where they had Charles Manson. I did not no. get a chance to watch it. Yeah, like, it's, I... the guy who played him was good. Like they have on on that show, they've had several people come on playing you know actual killers, and right. all the performances. The show's great, but all I the gotta performances watch of those people show. have been amazing. I'm just like, how do they find this guy who looks exactly like uh, who's the guy who was son of Sam? Uh, um, David Berkowitz. David, yeah, David Berkowitz. I was going to say, like, David Koechner. Uh, <laughs> David Berkowitz. <laughs> David Koechner. I mean, kind of does look kind of like him. No, no. They got this guy who looks just like him and also is an amazing actor. And I'm like, holy shit. 
How is that even possible? So anyway, the guy who played Charles Manson, though, came on and just like it was just like a total set piece. So definitely we're checking out that episode. Yeah, I feel like I mean, I watched I didn't finish uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I started (gasps) and I did get to the scene where (sighs) I know I know it was last night. It was getting late. And that movie's really long. It's really long. It's it's very good, though. I love that movie. I know I'm not supposed to for a myriad of reasons, but sorry. Yeah. But I got to the, what I got are to the three scene. of the reasons? <laughs> what are the reasons? Really? I'm legitimately yeah. curious. Is it like Tarantino Quentin Tarantino is a problematic okay. gentleman? If that's the barrier of entry for film directors, then we have zero. Okay, I so, mean, right, that, that's one. there's the whole... <laughs> Margot Robbie has like seven lines in the whole thing, which honestly didn't bother me. But there was a whole thing at a press conference that he gave. Let's. This is not what people want to listen to. I, I want to hear Charles. this story. I, this is this is us pulling over the podcast for a second for you and I to do our old podcast where Lauren oh would just tell God. me like what was going on on Twitter and then me being an old man about it. I'm sorry. I. We'll <laughs> it's on. okay. Well, it's just is- so. It's such ancient history at this point. Like it just it went down over a year ago. Well, this is a good chance, I guess, if the if we've pulled the podcast over to get back on the road and ask yeah. Dan. Dan, what do you know about Charles Manson without having done any studying for this uh, episode? Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) What do I know about Charles Manson? He went by Chuck to his friends. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Well, all right. So he's a a cult leader from like the 70s. He had a group, a weird group of people that they lived in like this sort of ranch area out in the middle of like nowhere. And he himself, I don't think, has actually killed anybody, right? That we know of. He himself? He's he didn't get his hands dirty with the big famous. Right, right. Not the famous ones. All right, we'll learn a lot. We'll learn about I mean, obviously I could be wrong about a lot of this stuff. So I I kind of think of him more as the guy who like directs people to go out and do crazy shit. I think of him that way. Yeah. Um and yeah, he's like the quintessential like hippie-ish cult leader guy and of course associated uh, very famously with what would have been a horrible uh, murder except it was thwarted by Rick Dalton. Oh, my God. Oh, you just ruined it for Doug. (laughs) Oh, no. It's fine. Anyway, uh, yeah. The end of that movie made me so happy. I don't know how I wasn't spoiled, but, like, I, like, like wept. Because I still have, like, big weird attachment to the Manson family. And when it didn't happen, I was so happy. Well, that's such a... If I can't just for a second talk about that. I'm sorry, Doug. I know you you had your chance. You didn't finish the movie. So, uh... It's (laughs) worth finishing. First he rewrites World War II, and now this? I know. I should have known. And the Civil War. You know what I mean? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. That's his jam. And I I don't know if, because I can tell that's what he's into right now, that I'm bothered by it, or I just go like, okay, that's what he's doing. But that's been like his last several films have just been like, what Quentin Tarantino thinks should have happened. Okay, well, fair enough. So uh, some members of the Manson family, they were called, went and killed some people in the Hollywood Hills, uh, notably Sharon Tate, uh, an upcoming actress at the time. And um, a few other people who uh, whose names escape me at the moment. And that's what I know about Charles Manson. <laughs> You've got the big points. I mean, he's most famously known for a series of murders that took place on August 8th and 9th, 1969. Largely because they were gruesome and because Ooh, Sharon yeah. Tate was involved. And it you know, scared the shit out of everyone in, in Los Angeles at the time. And there's a lot to those murders, but we'll probably want to start back with his childhood and his upbringing because what I got from researching this was just like, this is a guy who didn't get much of a chance and then the system failed him 
over and over. And like, he's just, if you wanted to make a guy like Charles Manson, this is the blueprint. You know, this is exactly <laughs> what you would do to a person to turn them into Charles huh. Manson. Um, yeah. But he was also classically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because again, most of my research <laughs> was squeaky from base. So it sort of branched mm-hmm. out from there. But he also did the classic, he like tortured and killed animals. Yeah. I when don't he was know. A kid. I, believe I, I believe that's it. in the stuff that I read. So I think that, yes, he definitely had a super terrible childhood, but I think he's also just like, fucked up like i think it was like everything was in place for this guy to be it's not like oh if he'd been raised under different circumstances he might have been i think he would have been like he might have just been a super shitty wall street bro or something but i think he would have been a horrible human being right a functional sociopath yeah exactly well you know this reminds me of one of our uh, other figures that we talked about caligula ancient roman emperor who had a super fucked up childhood and also, you know, ended up being this horrible monster. And you do ask yourself, you're like, well, what would have happened if there had been different circumstances? We'll never really know. Yeah. Unless Tarantino uh, makes a prequel. So let me just get some vital stats out there. So we've done our homework. So Charles Manson is born Charles Mill, um, Mills Maddox, November 12th, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio, to uh, his single mother and a father named Colonel Maddox, his actual given name was Colonel. Uh, He wasn't a colonel. um, And who was like some sort of like itinerant con man. So already not off to a good start. Dad's out of the picture before he's born. That is a great name for a con man, though. The Colonel. (laughs) Colonel Maddox. Colonel Maddox. So he's born to his mother. His his mother somehow finds somebody else to marry before Charles is actually born, whose last name was Manson, which so he ended up taking that name. Uh, And his mother pretty much gets into and he's gone pretty early, too. So he's basically raised without a father. And his mother is like an alcoholic. She's 16. She's an alcoholic. She he told a story that one time he was very young, like a baby, maybe or, or a toddler. And she's in a restaurant and the bartender is like, oh, what a cute baby. And she says, you want him? He's yours for a pitcher of beer. And apparently she gave the mother the pitcher of beer. She drank it and she left and she literally left Charles there. And it took like the kid's uncle four days to find him. Oh, boy. Yikes. Well, she was true to her word. Yeah. (laughs) Off and running. and, And for the rest of his childhood, he's basically in and out of. You know, sometimes he's with, I think, an aunt and an uncle in West Virginia. But between stints with them, he's mostly in and out of different institutions to the point where I think by the time he's released in the late 60s, he's 32 years old, I think, and has spent literally half of his life behind bars. Mm, not great. No. Uh, <laughs> and not having a good time while he's there either. I mean, I think there were stories about him trying to escape multiple times. Raping other inmates and being raped himself. Who like, like it's all it's all yikes, yikes. all the way down. Yikes. I hope that yikes. Lauren's contributions to this podcast are limited to this. Uh, it's just, <laughs> there's so little redeeming. I mean, there's no redeeming. I mean, it's no. just a real shame. <laughs> yeah, well, you can see why he had an issue with the system. Mm, well, I think man. it's a, well. Not only did so. he have an issue with the system, but it's interesting in that he he spent so much time in institutions that it didn't. The thought of going back to one didn't seem scary. He said 
famously after the murders and and the trial, he told, I think, one of the other, like the prosecutor or something later or parole officer or somebody, he said, you know, this didn't really do anything because you just put me back where I came from. <sighs> and that says something. Like when you're not afraid of in- of incarceration anymore, you're kind of freed up to do whatever you want if it's not a, a deterrent. True. Yeah. Good lesson for our make it sadder? I, I can make it sadder. I do want you to make I'm just remembering the time when I was like, because again, you guys, I, I said already, I went full method. So I was like... <laughs> into Charles Manson for a while because my character really loved it. So I'm just remembering back to like just like finding all these positive things about it. Alright, so Lauren, Don't, so what are the things you like about Charles Manson? He had Go. gorgeous eyes. He had beautiful, captivating eyes, which by the way is like in Helter Skelter. Like Vincent, how do you say his name? Bugliosi or whatever the prosecutor's name was, is like he says it a little differently. He's like his eyes were super scary and and hypnotic, but that's like the same thing that I said, just from a prosecutor's <laughs> point of view. But yeah, I think I still have a lot of residual guilt from like really sort of like being quote unquote into Charles Mann. What I'm saying is they should end the arts at universities like we're not responsible enough to be doing because <laughs> then you end up liking charles manson for like six months of your life and that's well, this not took good. a turn it's bad you got, it's bad. You got off easy compared to the family that's so. a great point that's a, thank you that's for some perspective right there i don't want to spend too much time on on his young life in prison but i mean it's a lot of like he commits a lot of petty crimes to get in and out it's a lot of like stealing cars yeah, he stole and driving across state shit. lines yeah he forged a treasury check for some very small amount of money. So but he's Yeah, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But there is some prostitution in there, like running, like basically pimping. And that's going to kind of come into play later with the Manson family when we get there. Oof, yeah. While he's in prison, he meets uh, another inmate by the name of, I believe, Carpus. And Carpus was a... Uh, kind of an old school prohibition era gangster but his contribution to the story was that he taught charles manson how to play the guitar in prison. oh see i didn't know that that's really interesting yeah like though even they, they talked about when he was in these institutions for boys when he was like a teenager yeah. they said like you know he had trouble reading and constant and doing math and that kind of stuff and he came to that later but he showed a real aptitude for music and that obviously becomes a big part of the story once he gets out in the yeah. in 1967 yeah, all true. So, Dan, what's your favorite Beatles album? Uh, oh, the best of the Beatles. <laughs> That's a good one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh, uh, yeah. There's this weird uh, Helter Skelter thing, or what's this? What's the deal with this? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a song off the Beatles' White Album. The White Album, And yeah. he becomes obsessed with that. And uh, I listened to it nonstop when I was rehearsing Assassins. Great album. Great it's album. A great, it's a great album. It is the Beatles' weirdest album, I think, because it's How the most How did you disjointed. get, Lauren? I mean, did you start, like, planning homicides? Like, wh- Listen... None. What's the statute of limitations on shit like that? Um, (laughs) No, I wasn't. I wasn't that fucking crazy. Thank God. But I definitely listened to the White Album on repeat for many months. But it's a good album. That's right. I watched the Yellow Submarine a shit ton when I was a kid. That's worse than what I did. That movie's creepy. Doug, we keep interrupting you, and it must be. Well, I mean, you have like small people in your life. We're supposed to interrupt him. That's the point of the podcast. But he's (laughs) tell. He's weaving a tale. 
He's weaving it's a, a dialogue, tale. not a monologue. We're like your two little kids fucking up your all your research. No, it's so I Lauren, I can see her managing me with her eyes, like let Doug speak. No, that's what the podcast is. My hypnotic curls and my eyes. Yes, yes, your piercing eyes. Um, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I got distracted. Uh, sustained. Charles Manson, uh, he gets out and he really wants to become part of the music scene. Because when, when he gets out of prison, I believe he's in San Francisco, and he walks right into Haight-Ashbury in 1967. So he's at the epicenter of flower power at a point where the movement is starting to turn a little sour. Uh, so he, he immediately gloms onto hippie culture, like the worst part of the hippie culture, because clearly he didn't get the memo about the peace and love, as we'll yeah. see. So he makes his way to L.A., and he starts hanging out at parties and meeting girls. And that's where he brings in, uh, I forget who's the first girls to quote unquote, join the Manson family. Is it Leslie Van Houten? Or, I don't um, Well, there, he gets married at some point. So like technically his wife, who's like not one of the famous ones is like, the, there's a lot of like, like the big names that we know, I feel like all came in a little bit later. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, Should I can't remember wrong. all their names. I did watch some interviews. I um, remember most of their names, but I don't remember when they all sort of like came into it. I don't well, know who the first ones were. Well, he definitely starts amassing a kind of a harem pretty quickly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he sends them out into the world and two of them are hitchhiking and they get picked up by all people, uh, of, by Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. <laughs> yep. Ugh, uh, and so, th- like, I didn't know how. I didn't know that was how Dennis uh, Wilson came into the the fold. That's a fucking disaster. But yeah, he he meets Dennis Wilson, and Dennis Wilson was like his bud for a while. Like the thing about Charles Manson and like the hippie movement is just like, I mean, it sucks because he didn't seem super creepy to like we can look at him and be like how did like what the fuck is wrong with people but this was a time when every i mean i say it like i know like i wasn't there but everyone was in some state of fucked upness and like everyone was living in a piece of shit house with eight million people you know like it didn't like what he was doing did it i don't think <laughs> seem that I love it. weird i love that generalization just like I was in two cults, okay? But he probably, like, just, like, whipped out his guitar around the campfire, and they were like, oh, yeah, he's just like all of these other dirty dudes who are around. Like, he just, like, probably seemed like... And then after a while... When they spent more time with him, the the normal people, like the Dennis Wilsons of the world, would be like, oh, wait, this guy's, like, fucking crazy. And then they right. would cut ties with him. So it was like only the damaged people really stuck around and, like, joined in. But in a surface way, he was able to sort of, like, I mean, didn't he even have some, like meetings or some shit like i know well, he recorded some stuff yeah we we have some of that stuff queued up there's a lot of oh, he recorded God. a lot of songs he wrote yeah i think he said he wrote something like 80 or 90 songs while he was in prison like he did show a real aptitude for it and what's interesting is like you expect these songs to be like the ravings of a madman and they're not they're, they're actually, not yeah they're like pop songs well the they're beach very, boys oh, recorded God, this podcast one. is gonna end yeah why don't, Dan, why don't like you play this is a song 
the this Manson is a song family. That, listen, he's yeah. pretty good. I, I, I like this guy. Listen, Manson wrote a song called "Cease to Exist," which then the Beach Boys later recorded as a song called "Never Learn Not to Love," which is um, a very different title. It's still a Manson title, but we can get to that. But Dan, why you play? Oh, a I didn't bit. know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, oh, hang on a second. I've never heard this song. All right, so this is... This is so uh, exciting. I can't believe I've never heard this song. Rocketing all the way up to number zero on the charts. Oh it's Never Learn Not to Love by Charles Manson. Jesus Christ. Is this like a giant spaceship coming in? Yeah, it's like an... You know, it's a 60s song, so you gotta have some weird intro slightly, right? I love it. It's great. Is this gonna hypnotize us? No. It's just a straightforward pop song. Like, there's nothing Did it say that? Was that first line, give up your world and be with me? Is that what he said? Yeah. That's a little, I mean. All right. So, uh, so he's pretty good. <laughs> well, that, song, was, that song was released with no credit given to Charles Manson. Oh, oh that, I didn't so know that is that. a Beach Boys song that he wrote? He wrote it. Okay. Yeah, Obviously, the Beach Boys song. did their their kind of you know classic harmonic arrangement. They added the tambourine, I assume, and that yeah. drove him crazy. Well, it certainly pissed him off. Um, they they eventually had a falling out. Uh, yeah. over the tambourine, mm-hmm. specifically over the arrangement of the song. Not the no, arrangement. No, not the, fact, the arrangement. The lack of credit. <laughs> I was going to say that's one of history's greatest what ifs. What I if didn't know it was over the lack of credit. I thought it was just that like he because he was crazy. And so I know that, like, so when he was buddies with Dennis Wilson, he just assumed that that meant, like, oh, well, I'm going to be famous now. Like, I'm friends with this famous guy. That's it. And then, like, when Dennis Wilson didn't, quote, unquote, deliver, like, he wasn't introducing him to the right people. And he was, I didn't realize it was a specific, like, you stole my song. <laughs> like, I didn't know. This is why... I have the theory that Peter Scolari is the Zodiac killer. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, just give artists credit, dude, and avoid like a multitude of problems, sounds like. Well, look at, you know, there's an easy parallel to draw to Hitler, right? Like, hey, if this guy just kept painting, (laughs) it would have been in a much better place. (laughs) But um, So the next time some crazy person comes in with shitty art, tell them it's good. Yeah. You could be Uh, stopping a Hitler. So, yeah, we have other songs by him as well. He did a lot of recordings. And, again, the ones I picked that I sent to Dan were all, again, like oddly straightforward, happy-sounding mm-hmm. pop songs. But we should play at least one of them so you can hear his voice. Yeah, um, this is crazy. I've sonorous, never heard. beautiful voice. I've never heard it's a song It's not bad. He's, he's it's a normal on. singing voice. You people are so, fucking weird. All right, so what is you the, go. what's the one I'm doing? My World? That's fine. Or these are Doug sent me these. I don't know. Uh, this is the shit he sends. What's me, your guys. favorite what? Charles Manson song? Doug? <laughs> look at your like, look see, at I your game a lot girl. Of kids bop Charles Manson What's songs. What's your desert <laughs> island disc for? But just for Charles Manson songs. Uh, wet ass pussy in the style of Charles Manson. <laughs> <laughs> right, featuring. Did you wear a wet ass pussy man? All our pussies are so wet. Your oh pussies are dry. <laughs> I Why hope you edit this. This is really upsetting. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, please. I'm the color. All right. 
We got a hostile guest. Uh, what's the <laughs> one you wanted to hear? Uh, do the uh, you're only happy when you're home or whatever that's called. Because mm. it's again super happy, not Charles Manson sounding song. Oh great, it's a bop. Your home is where you're happy. It's not where you're not free. Your home is where you can be what you are. I know it's activating, Lauren. It's like Manchurian Candidate. Now let me show you that castle. show you that peace of mind because they don't know how to be free Are we gonna owe charles manson's estate money for this all your <laughs> that is a state yeah dude that is bananas i've never heard him except when he sounds super crazy in like interviews like he doesn't yeah. sound like him Right. It's 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 That's very nuts. Upbeat. He had some that have like more of a political bent to them that are but it's more like, you know, the city sucks, the world is on fire kind of stuff, but it's not out of place for the late right. 60s. Right. So. Oh my god, dude. His voice just sounds like normal. He just doesn't sound like a Oh my god, that's so weird. I you mean, can go on YouTube. There's tons of these. There's a lot of it's all there. Yeah. I'm I've already destroyed my browser radical. history with this shit. Why don't you? <laughs> Go out there and look at Charles Manson's song. Um, well, I think yeah. it actually, that brings up, it brings up a really good point because I think that we, I'm going to pronounce this word wrong, mythologize. Is that right? I think so. Sure. Okay, cool. Nailed it. He's such the pinnacle or whatever of serial killers where it's like, he was so evil and his ideas and blah. And it's like, yeah, but he was also just a dude who wanted to be famous. Like uh, he was fucking nuts. And when he didn't get what he wanted, he became like the worst killer or, you know, cult leader of all time. But like, he wasn't driven by, I don't feel like he was driven by all the stuff that people think. I think that he's just like everyone else. He was a greedy capitalist fuck who wanted to be a super famous rich musician who like lived in a mansion and had a bunch right. of girls. This and when that like didn't the, happen, he reacted differently from how most people react when that doesn't happen. Right. This is the banality of evil. Right. It, like, thank you. Motives. That is the short version of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's just he wasn't this like crazy. I mean, he was a crazy Dude, but it's not like all ideology and like that starts yeah. coming in later. The inciting incident or whatever is just guy who wants to be the next whoever and doesn't become that and then gets pissed off. Yeah, like it's so being a boring, vicious, it's so basic. Uh, homicidal psychopath. He could have just been like a mid-tier annoying psychopath like Shia LaBeouf if he had just <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, I famous. don't I never got a, a a solid answer when I was looking at this stuff of like how much does he actually believe the stuff I that he's know. telling these girls and I think it's very little. I think he's really just manipulating Exactly. Them. Yeah, like I'm sure I mean look, he was definitely racist as fuck and like oh, wanted yeah, yeah. to you want to cap- like start like a race war or something. Yes. And that well, is yeah. and like that so is true and office. he did want to capitalize on that, but it's not like that was his like ethos or ideology or right? like all of that shit came in later. He is a spurned 
musician basically like it is literally the most boring like tale as old as time ever and then all the crazy shit came from him being rejected it does in the phantom of the opera of how online in that discourse it's the extreme views that get all the attention right so if you really want to be noticed you have to take like the wildest position possible the hot take as it were and i guess it's what he wanted he wanted to get noticed he wanted to get seen and that when that didn't work okay well let's try some crazy shit all right, that's getting your attention. Yeah, I yeah. think. I mean, I think so. I mean, we'll never know for sure, but like that's what it really feels like to me. So by this point, we're in the late '68 or maybe '69. I think by this point, they're hanging out at the Spawn Ranch, right? Yeah, I don't even know okay. where they were before that, to be honest. Lauren, you want to talk about what the Spawn Ranch is? Because I thought this was kind of interesting. This is bananas and you can like go i mean this ranch isn't super far from like la you know what i mean like you can go see this ranch if you want i haven't done it i'm just saying how many times lauren i'm just saying all this stuff that again becomes like this crazy mythology is actually like in our backyard and it's just bananas but i don't remember how he ended up taking control of this ranch the dude who ran it the super 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 old guy who was like bruce like Oh, Bruce Stern. Sorry. Yes. 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 Excellent performance by Bruce Stern. But yeah, so this super old dude who I believe is like pretty much legally blind by the time the family comes into the picture, like he has this ranch and it used to be used. It was like they would film there. Like, is that how? Because he, the stunt guy who he ended up killing or being there while he was killed, is that how he got hooked up with it? There was a stuntman. I don't remember that detail of how they came to yeah. like, be squatters there. I don't remember, but, but yeah, it's a movie set. Like it's a it's an old movie set that yeah, used to shoot westerns. westerns on. Yeah, yeah, it's like so, abandoned. And so they just like commandeered it and are living there for free because the dude again is like ten thousand years old, and Manson is like, here's a bunch of girls you can have sex with. You like super old blind dude, and the guy's like, sounds good to me. And Squeaky From was like his main lady shall we say um oh it was george something i can't remember was it george spawn okay great spawn yeah (laughs) great george ranch um yeah so they just (laughs) they were living there for free and it was like very remote so they were sort of like left alone and it was this very big property so he could just keep bringing in girls and everyone, it was just like disgusting and everyone's like sleeping on the floor anyway. And it was like, gross. but it was like a hippie, weird squatter situation at this ranch. Wasn't there like, there was like a VW bus or something that, that was, I think like, they had like a Manson family vehicle of some yeah, kind. Yeah. Yeah. And they the Manson would just. The Manson mobile. Um. But yeah, so they just like lived there for a while. Like they lived there for a long time before the murders happened. Like I think they were still there when the murders happened. Oh, they were totally still there. Yeah. But like my point being, like, these motherfuckers, they could have just like lived there forever. Like the only reason How are they getting like groceries and shit? Well, the girls, you might know more about this than I do, Doug, but like... Sex the, for money, as I yeah. recall. Well, yeah, they're, I mean, basically, yeah. Like, the girls would, like, hitchhike and, like, go into town. And, like, they were... I mean, he really did run this. It was a cult. It was also a harem, though. It was just him and these two other dudes. It was Tex and Clem, right? Were, the, were their think. nicknames. Yeah. So it's three men. And, like, 
so many women, just like a lot of women. And like occasionally like one would like get out and leave. But mostly they were just like collecting them like a fucking, you know, like Pokemon. Like they just get more and more girls. And the girls were like keeping the place afloat, essentially. Like they're the ones bringing in income and they'd go dumpster diving So the diving modern stuff. equivalent would be like an improv theater. That's fair. I think that's completely fair. I know you're making a joke, but yes. <laughs> it was the improv theater economic model. <laughs> and then also, I believe it's true, and this is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I think they also were doing like little tours, like horse, guided horse hmm. What do you call them? Yeah, no, that's it. it <laughs> when rich people horse. ride a horse and you ride a horse with them and you're like, we're going up this trail. Whatever the, whatever that's called, I believe it was they a did guided horse tour where at the top you could fuck the tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it was a different time, and I think we should respect that. <laughs> it was expected. Right. And also a lot of petty crimes like car theft and stuff, too. They yeah, really they to stole. Make yeah, and the girls, like, stole a bunch of shit. Like, everyone was constantly stealing. and mm. But, yeah, dumpster diving, sex for money, stealing. I think that was pretty much how they were doing. And they weren't living well. Uh, yeah, and at this point, that's when Manson gets the idea. You know, he start he's going to get back at the world. The helter skelter concept is so he somehow he's inspired by that song, which nothing in the lyrics suggests anything scary. Like on the sur- at a surface level read of that song, it's like about a roller coaster. But he decides that helter and that's skelter. That's not scary, like, Doug. I don't like roller coasters, but I don't think they're going to kill anybody. So he says, well, I think there's going to be a race war coming between the blacks and the whites. And that's what he calls Helter Skelter. He thought, I believe, didn't he also think that like Blackbird was like a special message just to him or or not just to him, but he was like, he was like, this is like, this is the, the sign. Like, this is the calling for it to start. Like he, because the whole album he had, a lot of different feelings about it. I mean, Helter Skelter obviously is the main one, but I think also Blackbird, he was like, ah, it's the, it's the bat signal for my race war. What about Happy Birthday? How do you feel about that one? She said, today it's your birthday, but it's my birthday too. Today it's a race war. Oh my God, I fucking forgot that's on that album. What a like, do you just imagine that when the family listened to it, he's always like, we're going to skip this track. Like, what a mood killer when you're trying to like fucking start, you know, the end of the world. There's a lot of goofy shit. Like Rocky Raccoon, I'm sure, is not about a race war. Yeah, but Um, I bet you could spin that. He could spin that. Yeah. I don't think it's about a raccoon either, for the record. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? That's it. Come on. That one writes itself. So that's why that word ends up getting written on the the walls in blood later. And Um, spelled wrong. It's spelled wrong. Uh, Sorry, Rocky Mm -hmm. Raccoon gets written on the wall. Yeah, Rocky Raccoon. So, yeah, so they hit on the idea that they're going to hit these houses and the crime is going to be gruesome and they're going to try and make it look as if the Black Panthers committed it to, I guess, foment this race war. Yeah. Uh, oh, they're like the Boogaloos. Whole... They're like the Boogaloo boys. Well, his whole thing, and this is, uh, he's such a, he's really such a piece of shit. So his whole thing is he's like, yeah, we got to start this race war. But he was, again, extremely racist. And he's like, you see, black people are too stupid to start the race war. So I need to start it for them. So I need to create a crime that they will get blamed for that will then start the race war. Like, that was his... That was his whole thing. And then he also thought, 
once he's like once the black man overpowers the white man he's like then they'll be too dumb to rule so then i step in and i become king of the world like this was his actual plan you know it's this funny Lauren, i think you accidentally just read word for word trump's latest tweet <laughs> oh, jesus <Right>. christ <laughs> but yeah that was like that was honestly how he thought things would go down okay. he's like i gotta start it and then they'll win it but then they'll be too dumb to rule. So then I step in and they worship me as a god. Like this wow, was that his is plan. A, that question, is question mark. The... Question mark. Question mark. Step three. Profit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that's the craziest thing I've heard so far about it. Because like Charles Mans, we were talking about. Like, okay, well, well, he wanted to be a musician. That's not that crazy. He wanted to be famous. That's pretty accessible. He has a harem. Well, that's everybody's <laughs> dream. But, but. This is like super crazy. He was super racist, which gets lost in all of his other appallingly shitty personality traits. But like he was very racist. Mm. So, yeah, that was a driving force for him. But again, going back to what you said, Lauren, about his more selfish motives, the reason he picks the house where Sharon Tate is, is because he doesn't realize Sharon Tate and Roman, yeah. her husband, Roman Polanski, are living there. That house used to belong to a guy named Terry Melcher, yeah. who was a record producer that spurned him. Uh, so he yeah. sends his his squad, the Manson family, to that house, thinking, I'm going to get revenge on Terry Melcher. And when they get there, they find Sharon Tate. And yeah. like you said, a few other people, Roman Polanski lucks out. He's off somewhere else at the time. Yeah. So he... He's not killed, but uh, her and what's his name? J.C. Bring, and I forget who the other victims are. There's the Folgers Abigail Coffee Abigail Folgers, yeah. and then the guy who I can never pronounce his last. I always want to say Wozniak. It is. It was not Steve Wozniak. It was like Warczak. It's like Polish. I, I, I say it incorrectly. What um, a stirring tribute, Lauren. Thank you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> fair. And here's another fun fact. So Terry Melcher, at the time that he was living there, was living there with his girlfriend, Candace Bergen. What? Yeah. TV's Murphy Brown. Yeah, so, oof, almost no so Murphy Brown, know what I'm saying? So, yep. he was living there, oh, okay, sorry, the prior... They uh, were the previous happened. owners of They the were, house. yeah, 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 with right, Carrie right, Melcher right, and right, Candace right, Bergen, right. who broke up okay. shortly after uh, the murders went down. Hmm. Yeah, Steve McQueen was almost there, apparently, as well, the night of the murder. He would he had been invited, yes. but didn't come. Yes, I remember reading that. Yeah, it, it's, oh, God, yeah, bad, bad stuff. A bad stuff. So we dodged a bullet. hi Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> that's the one fact I know about Steve McQueen. He was in a movie called Bullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the kids are going to love that reference. Thanks. I know. The kids. The kids who yeah. listen to your podcast. Yeah. Our podcast is popular amongst kids. Is it Doug's kids? Yeah, exactly. No, they, 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 they shouldn't they be like listening it. to this. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is very bad for them. They've I been let, pushing her, for I let my daughter listen to the fun ones when we did like, hey, we're talking about Cruella DeVille. You know, she was cool yeah, with that. Yeah, that's a little yeah. different. Yeah, that's slightly different. Doug uh, routinely has his daughter summon Cthulhu. This has been discussed on the podcast. That's true. No, it's true. I I did tell her I was doing a podcast. No, for, we'll on do it Charles again. Manson. Do it for Lauren. What's the song you have, Celeste? Mister Tentacles, Mister Tentacles. Are you being serious right now? The song. Well, I started this game with her oh called Mister Tentacles, <laughs> which is basically like tag. 
And then I, being me, is like, well, what if I'm doing this Mr. Tentacle shit. I'll put a little Lovecraft spin on it. Oh, Sleeps in the sunken boy. city of Relier. And then oh a she started repeating it. So. Oh, so, no. This is how you get a Charles Manson. Oh, I'm yeah, saying. seriously. No, it's just how you summon Cthulhu out of the neck. <laughs> Okay. Way worse. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so we're getting to the point where I'm going to start tearing my hair out during the edit. Uh, so what else do we need to know about Charles Manson? <laughs> Lauren, I'll throw it to you to talk about the murders. I feel like this is where your time to shine. Oh, boy. Yeah, so everyone knows the Sharon Tate situation. Those were the first murders because there were actually two nights of murders and the proper quote-unquote name is the Tate-LaBianca murders, but everyone focuses on the famous people and then they forget the poor couple that was killed the next night. But the first night, okay. They swapped out. It was like both nights, it was Tex, Susan Atkins. And then there were like two other girls, but those weren't the same. Every I always mess up who the other two people were because then they were different. And then on one night, it was like one of the girls stayed in the car the whole time because I believe only three or four people total were charged for them. But basically, that's the... If I recall, I think I got a little interested in this when I saw Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, yeah. And so I do think it was four, and I do think you're right. One of them like stayed in the car or something. Yeah. Mostly alive and still in prison now. Like it's yes, yeah, a lot yeah. of them are. Susan Atkins yeah. died of cancer. Like I think like ten years ago or something. But a lot of them are. Squeaky Fromm is out. But Squeaky Fromm wasn't there on either night. Neither was Sandra Good. So it's Cielo Drive is where at least the Tate murders take place. And basically, I mean, it was fucking ugly and horrible. Like I don't even want to say the details because they'll really bum people out. But it's like psycho psycho evil shit it's like is this like phil hartman in uh so i married an axe murderer (laughs) they took turns pissing in the ocular cavity (laughs) it's honestly worse than that like it's not just it's not just that they're killing these people it's like the way that they did it was so gruesome the number of dabs and just like and sharon tate was pregnant and what they did with that situation is not mm. great well, we don't and have to i get don't want to say play it, by play if you don't out. want to that's not necessary you can look it up it's really bad they write helter skelter in their victim's blood on the wall they also it's either at this or the next night that they write something about piggies uh, i think this one's piggies and the next one's helter skelter and they wrote some other stuff too oh my bad. Blood. That's so yeah. interesting. I thought but Helter yeah. Skelter was the Tate ones. No, they wrote Helter oh. Skelter on the LaBianca's refrigerator. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. I feel like everyone thinks, because everyone knows about Helter Skelter, and I feel like not as many people know about the Piggies thing, and I feel like everyone attributes it to the Tate house. None of this is interesting to anyone who's normal. Uh, people out there are like, who the fuck cares which house they wrote which blood-soaked message in, yeah. you fucking psycho. <laughs> but it's interesting to me. But yeah, so again, Piggies being a song also on the White Album, so like a lot of that kind of shit. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely, it's horrifically gruesome the way they kill all of these people. They kill also the, the I don't, I was going to say houseboy, but that is not the right term. He was like the groundskeeper i don't know this young kid this like teenage kid or like 20 year old or something this is the second night 
This is the Tate. This is this oh. is the That's uh, night the one. Yeah. Polanski place. So yeah, how many night one is what, on seven, one? I think. Isn't it or is it five and then the other it's two the next night? I don't know if oh, it's okay. seven total or well, let's count. Okay, it's Sharon Tate, JC Ray, Folger, <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah, so it's five the first night and then two the second night. The second night is just a couple, Rosemary and I don't know if it's Leno or Lino. I think it's Lino. Lena, that makes more sense. Um, they also get killed horrifically, gruesomely as well. Yeah, man, they're really fucking gnarly, ugly, awful murders. Are these it's all like the murders with shit. knives? Mostly. Yeah, I mean, that was the main attraction. I think that Tex had a gun, I think. Am I just remembering this from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I think that, like, there was a gun to, like fucking slow people down but they were like torture killing like it really was fucked up um it was not about like get in get out it was like let's draw this out like they tied them up and like it just all this awful shit yeah definitely not a lot of overlap if if you enjoyed like our mr burns episode and this episode (laughs) 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 feels like different i know i'm I'm so sorry people that's that's, i mean I, i think it's an interesting thing about this show because we will go from Edie i mean to the invisible to this i know i mean you know so hey sometimes yeah no man it was just like it was so so gruesome and what doug was saying it's interesting that you were saying like right when the 60s or like the the flower child movement was like starting to sour i never thought of it like that because what i have like I guess red. I mean, it's all like opinion. But these murders happened in 19... It was summer of 69, right? Yeah. To credit the Brown Eyed. That's I what the song is about. I bought my first real six string. Um, yeah. No, but uh. like a lot of people say that this was sort of like the last... It was like, and then the 60s were over. And then we moved into the 70s, which was just like... We're starting to get sort of more decadent and it's like the music changes and the attitude it's like free love if i can drop the one important detail that i know brian adams Mm. is on record saying that that song is about the sexual position yeah it's about 69 because he was like a kid in 69 yeah but i read a book on the laurel canyon music scene and they got a lot of quotes from like you know the people all the famous musicians who lived in the canyon and this was a time when like people just left their doors unlocked because you know Know, like everyone would just like wander in and out and you like knew everybody in your neighborhood and they said that if they were like this fucking ended like everyone locked their doors people wouldn't wave at people they didn't know anymore it was like people were suspicious of their neighbors because also they had no idea who committed these murders for a long time right so people that- were like terrified Terrified. And they thought it was celebrity related. So, like, I read stories about, like, Frank Sinatra just, like, hopped on a plane and got out of town. And yes. Said, like, Fuck it. I don't need to be in L.A. right now. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, celebrities are terrified. And there was that distrust because it was like, you think you live in the hills and you have a gate and all this shit. Like, you're safe. So there was kind of a little mistrust of, like, is this one of our people who did this? What the fuck is going on? And people just... it. I've always heard of it as sort of being the death knell of the 60s and, like, the peace and love movement. And the fact that it happened, like, right before 1970 is such an interesting marker of, like, and we're done with this decade. Yeah. Let's move into disco and, like, more soul year. Shit. I mean, the same year you have this horrific series of murders, you also have the moon landing. Like, what Alleg- like two weeks Allegedly. Oh, God. Allegedly. Shut the hell up. Shut up. <laughs> Wait, was it really just... 
this two weeks before? Yeah, it's July 20, 1969. Holy shit, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, what a 180. But, I mean, you, you have arguably one of the most horrible and pessimistic stories and then one of the most aspirational optimistic yeah, stories. I mean, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. And they only got caught because one of the, the girls in the Manson family got uh, caught for something Atkins. minor. Yeah. Right. She got popped for something minor and she told her cellmate. She squealed to her all about it. And that was it. The, she the squealed. buzz came down on Sounds him. Sounds like you're editorializing. <laughs> she and the buzz rat. came down. But yeah, it was literally just like the, this idiot running her mouth because she was like, she was like boasting about it. Yeah. The Manson family is interesting. I, you know, the, I did a lot of research at the beginning of like, well, I need to get the what, right? The details of what happened. And then I started really getting interested in the like the how and the why like how did yeah. seemingly normal people go in yeah. for this i mean they talked about you know how they were maybe they were a little lost they were lost souls a little Total. bit i mean you know, but from what i got from reading a ton of stuff about like i read squeaky from's biography and like a lot of stuff like that so he was this sounds so crazy, but he was apparently very charismatic, which, or very charismatic to someone who's a little off kilter themselves. But and on a lot of drugs. Yes, and on a lot of drugs. But again, charismatic to the point where Dennis Wilson was buddies with him for a while. You know what I mean? Like this is a common thread with people that are morally kind of absent there. I mean, they seem to be very manipulative personalities. Yeah, he was super crazy manipulative. And he was, this is like a, an interesting, like weird fact about him, but he was like a tiny man. He's like a little, he's, he's tiny. He's like five so, foot nothing. Yeah. yeah he's Which they really, did get right on Mindhunter. Whoever played him was very small. That's amazing. I got to see this episode. But yeah, yeah, so I think maybe he sort of skated by and like seeming non-threatening or like seeming like he's been described as like elfish by people. Like he just seemed like this like ball of energy and this like little tiny dude with like these magnetic eyes. And like, I don't know, he he wore like a buckskin coat. And I think people are just like, look at this character. Like, yeah, this guy's fun. Like, I think it was that kind of a thing. And then in terms of the women, he did a really not good job because it's just like I don't want to give him credit but he targeted these women who yeah were like very very lost and also who I hate this term but women who had daddy issues like he very easily slid into that role so a lot of them I think fathers had been out of the picture and he his thing, he'd be like, I'm Charlie, I'm your father, I'm your lover, I'm your God, I'm your... Like, he was, like, filling all male roles for them. I think Isn't that, that was that part Isn't that that Berlin song? I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a woman. I hate I'm you man. so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is, it is kind of like... I'm a man. It is kind of poetically fucked up in a way that, like, this guy who had no real family of his own, yeah. like, creates a family in, a, like, a fractured image of a family. It is yeah. exactly that. Yeah. Like, he, I mean, where he picked up Squeaky from initially, and by the way, I just want to say for all of the, the Manson heads out there, we all say Squeaky from, and, like, that's fine. It's actually from me. That's the correct pronunciation. But, like, <laughs> everyone says from, so we're saying The from. new scent It's a, it's a Famke Jansen funk. But anyway, so where he initially like hooked her was at Venice Beach because he would sort of troll places like Venice Beach where like at this time people young, we would say homeless now, but at the time it wasn't 
necessarily that odd to just be like sleeping out under the stars on the beach. Like it was that was kind of more of like a movement thing than now where we'd be like, oh, my God, this person needs help. Like they're clearly homeless and alone at that time because of the hippie movement. It was kind of like, yeah, man, like sure, capitalism and like you don't need a house, sleep out under the stars. So like he would hang out in places where these younger girls would like clearly be on their own and he would sort of go up to them and strike up conversations and just like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's another it's thing that I feel like is a recurring theme in this podcast is when somebody recognizes, somebody evil recognizes. It really is that, yeah. Recognizes like this weakness that we all missed because we're people of goodwill. And so we don't, we're not looking for vulnerabilities. And then here's somebody who sees like, oh my God, nobody's guarding the, the hen house here. I yeah. can just go in and. It yeah. real, I mean, it really was that. It's so fucked up. Yeah, because he would get these girls usually, I believe, one by one. It's, it wasn't like, hey, this group of girls, like, come back. It was like, who's the, like, you know, like you're saying, like, the weak antelope or whatever. Like, the girl who's alone. And then be like, hey, want to come? Like, we've got this ranch. We have, like, yeah. shelter. Like, you won't get wet when it rains. And there's all these other girls who are your age. Like, but, like, is that kind of shit. It's a particularly despicable thing somebody who is so weak to prey on you know what i mean like people that are younger and naive it really is maybe the worst thing yeah he was significantly older than they were we forget that or or not we forget it just doesn't get talked about a bunch but like most of these girls were like fucking young late yeah you have this advantage because you've seen the world and you know how horrible it can be and then you use that to prey on yeah man he sucked he was a bad dude dan why do doug and i have to keep trying to convince you of that (laughs) (laughs) his Um, eyes though were so hypnotic but the good news is the justice system worked they were all caught tried they were sentenced to death but they escaped the death penalty because for a time the death penalty was wiped away by the supreme court uh, so their sentences all got commuted to life, and he never got out. He died in 2017. Right. Yes. Um, but he did get married while he was in prison. Uh, to what? Uh, right? Didn't he? I'm, I mean, I'm not crazy, right? He did get married. I, I, I didn't know. focus now much now on the post-incarceration. Like to... yeah, that's just, a whole separate topic of people that get obsessed with serial killers in prison. I mean, does he – you know, I say serial killer, but is he? does he get that moniker? Well, this is where we get in the weeds on the technicality because it's like you had said earlier that he didn't actually kill anyone. And it is heavily thought that he did. He at least we know he attempted to kill someone years before the murder because it was like there was this like drug deal situation uh, and the guy tried to kill I'm almost positive was a black man because again, racist motherfucker. And then there were two other deaths where it's like, we know he was there, but we don't know for positive if he like laid hands on either of the guys who were killed. But this is all pre the Tate LaBianca murder. So he was not involved with those murders beyond orchestrating them and making everyone do that. (laughs) So that's what he went to prison for. Conspiracy. Yeah. Right. So it's not proven, you guys. I just want to say, you know, we don't know. Um, (laughs) All right. So is there anything else we really need to know here? I mean, we can move over into kind of our usual stuff. We can talk about what's the enduring, uh, I don't want to say legacy. I I hate lionizing murderers. I know, know, man. I know. And it's so hard with, honestly, the Manson family 
gets fucking glamorized because of the yeah. time period. Like I was trying to watch. Um, there's a document, or there's a. I think it's a limited series that just came out on Epics, which is a channel I don't get, so I couldn't watch it. But it's supposed to be great about the family. But I was like, let me look at some of these other like Manson documentaries because there's like a million of them. And the one that I tried to watch, it was one of those ones that was like half like real interviews and footage, and then half like dramatizations, and it was so glamorized. And I just feel like. That's the problem. It's like the era and like the cars and the clothes and the girls and the parties. It's like really hard to tell this story without kind of fucking glamorizing it. And I think well, that most that things have fallen risk. into that trap. No, definitely. And I think that we were mindful of that going in, maybe not as vocally as we are right now about it. But I'm thinking back in the last hour, and I don't think we've been doing No, that. it's so just like, it's just an yeah. interesting you know, fact that it's really hard not to because we glamorize things that are adjacent to it so much where it's like communes, you know what I mean? Sure. Where it's like, oh man, like, and you could live in a house with like all your friends and shit. And then you're just like, you're just, there's a thin line between that and the fucking Manson family. Well, you know, you also have some. <laughs> Somebody who wants to be famous and then they go and do this horrible stuff and then they're famous and you don't want to yeah. reward that. I mean, there's a I, whole school I think of thought there's, there. I think there's something else yeah. to like, why, why does Charles Manson and his particular cult kind of endure, endure. In, in, the, in the psyche? And I think the reason is with most cults, we mentioned the Heaven's Gate cult, there's the Jonestown cult, right? There's mm-hmm. been lots of cults, but usually the danger to the cult is the members, right? Being in the cult is dangerous to you. Here, Charles Manson is yeah. like, he'll take care of you and he'll send these people out into the world to hurt the normies. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of different. Point distinction that's exactly i I alluded to it earlier but i always like to work in current events and i think right now we are all thinking a little bit about how easily the human mind is sort of hacked and how cults can arise and it does feel that way right now i I, you know i mean i could get into details but i think i we i know exactly what the manson family would have been such anti-maskers like i can't even it would have been totally totally you guys come on so it's fascinating to us on that level, I think, when you see it play out and it really reminds you that the human mind is such a fragile thing. Mm-hmm. All right. well, that means it's uh, time to move on to the Dungeons & Dragons moral alignment chart. Oh, this is easy <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, so what we have, we have lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. I mean, he yeah. can I, do I go first? Of course. Yeah. He is 100% chaotic evil. He's yeah. fucking crazy, and he's super evil. And his aims aren't super defined to he me. Was I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but it's just bonkers. kind of all over the place. Yeah. Like, I challenge anyone to try to watch an interview with him or read a transcript of it. He is so, so crazy. And I think he got crazier, like, as he definitely time got went crazy. on. <laughs> Do you think he leaned into it at a certain point once he was in prison for the rest of his life and he knew that this was just his brand? Yeah. He kind of just was like, yeah. Yeah. But even like at the trial, he was just like so crazy, like during the trial. Well, he put that X on his head during the trial. And then turned it into a swastika later. Later. Yeah. But it started out as an X to symbolize how he was outside of society. And of course, all the family members did it too. Yeah. Squeaky Frown did it. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Fascinating, because I know about the. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, it was an X initially for the girls. It was like they said that they'd. It's because they'd been X'd out of the world, which I don't even know what that. I don't know if that means like we're for we've been forgotten, like fuck the system, or if it means like we're 
voluntarily taking ourselves out of the world. Like, I don't fucking know. Well, you know, we just, the episode of ours that just dropped today was The Invisible Man. And we talked a lot about how that character's identity is so much about being apart from society. This is a character who feels very much separated and to the point where, you know, the invisibility becomes a metaphor for that. So mm-hmm. there is a lot to be said for that as a motivating force for people who want to strike out. That yeah, I mean, excellent yeah. swastika. Huh. Okay, yeah. fair enough. And now his signature became a, a swastika as well, which was crazy. Wait, but the thing really? about the swastika as a racist symbol, it's an ideology. It's saying like, hey, I subscribe to Nazism, which I got to be honest, from what I knew about Charles Manson, it always seemed a little weird because super racist, but also, you know, just kind of like, you know, he wasn't like a Nazi in like, no, the, I think like by that point he was just straight up crazy. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, just doing crazy shit. Okay. But, but super racist. All the right. racism yeah. was always there though. He was right. always really racist. Right. And right. then I think the Nazi thing was just shock value, but I don't know. He might've gotten into Nazism. But I think you're right, Lauren. I think yeah, it's, it's hard to think of him as anything but chaotic evil, but damn, now it's time for the title fight. Oh fun. Yeah. In one corner, <laughs> at five foot nothing, we have cult leader Charles Manson. And in the other corner, Mexican folklore ghost La Llorona. Oh, wait, <laughs> who is that? I don't know this one. Uh, this all right, is... so uh, La Llorona is, uh, she's a ghost story, essentially. <gasps> she's a and lady? We just, we, a yeah, we just lady. dropped the episode, so I don't want to go into too much detail because people have probably just listened to it. But essentially, it's a centuries-old story about a woman who was spurned by her husband, uh, cheated oh on, and it's sort of like uh, Medea. She, I think Medea killed her children, didn't she? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. So, so in the yeah, story, La Llorona, she, she drowns her children and then in her grief and, and craziness drowns herself and then is cursed to sort of walk the earth. And <sighs> if she sees children she might mistake them for her own and then become upset when they're not and drown them as well so she, Ooh, uh, she's a wow, ghost that's story. awful yeah. okay Ooh, wow now, that's the well, matchup well, i was saying the weird problem is of course yala yorona is already dead so we we do yeah, have a charles manson's there. gonna have a real hard time without some ghost busting equipment but i want to say what i like about this matchup <laughs> is that you know she's a spurned woman and Charles Manson obviously has this really horrible history with women. So there, yeah, you know, seriously. I, I mean, if I'm writing this story, I want her to just sort of drag him into the, into the depths, you know? Yeah. I feel like he would maybe try to like pull his like hippie charming shit on her. And then she'd just be like, are you're small. Are you a baby? And then she'd drown him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's he's out taking some sort of like drug-addled stroll along the river or whatever, and yeah. she's there, and, and she's he thinks like, like, "Oh, great, child? a new addition." Yeah, but here's and, the but uh, here's the twist though. Who does Charles Manson prey on? But vulnerable, mentally unstable women. I know. Yeah. So I know he could but play I his guitar, and that. and she's got yeah, a theme so, song. So hard cut to her sitting around a campfire. I know. <laughs> Seriously, I want to. I got. I want to give it to her just because I really. Yeah, yeah. I want a lady. A lady ghost. That's so exciting. There aren't that many lady ghosts. Okay, (laughs) we'll give it to La Llorona. We'll give it to La Llorona just so we can. He's just like such a fucking cowardly little piece of shit that he always got other people to do his dirty work, except for the one time he tried to kill a guy and shot the guy, but the guy lived. So it's like. He sucks. So I just want to believe. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody I would put Charles Manson up against where I'd be like, all right, Charles Manson wins. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> who's our like? Who's our easiest previous uh, villain that we could put him up against? I would still Burns. Is, we, Mr. We Burns. Yeah, Charles Manson yeah. versus Charles Montgomery. Mr. Burns. Burns. He would. He could win though, because again, capitalism was, and I feel like what took him out initially. His flower power is no match for my flower power. power. <laughs> oh my God. There we go. All right, so fair enough. La Llorona wins. And then we had the fan casting. I mean, he's been played a oh, yeah. billion times oh, yeah. already. Oh, my God. Well, now what's the deal? The guy who played him in Once Upon a Time, didn't that same guy play him in Was It Mindhunter? Or, like, there's there's a dude who's played Manson a couple times. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll, I can look it up. I know there was a guy that was on Lost who had played him. That was the guy who I thought of. That was the guy I was going to cast in my head. You're telling me he already played Charles Manson? What? Oh, oh wow! He, His, name Wait, His name is Jeremy Davies. His name is Jeremy Davies. He plays uh, uh, oh, a I know Jeremy Faraday. Davies. Yeah, Faraday from Lost. I thought he kind of Jeremy looks Davies like him. would be great. You know what's nuts is that I just saw him the other day, and I was I'm watching American Gods right now, and he played Jesus hmm. because no one wants to talk about it, but very similar visual aesthetic mm-hmm. between Jesus and Charles Manson. Yeah, I mean, that's more on Manson than talking about Jesus, but yes. Yeah, I'm I'm (laughs) talking about a a beard, sandals, you Mm -hmm. know. All right, so I've got got Jeremy Davis here. I guess I'll do a search. Uh, He was, by the way, Jeremy Davis, what year do you think he was born? Uh, 1969. 1969, yeah. Mm. He played Charles Manson in the TV movie Helter Skelter, 2004. Well, there you go. I'm, yeah, I don't know who I would. I mean, that's not, that sounds great to me. I don't know who I would cast as him. He's so I would cast I can't. John Rees Davies. <laughs> Isn't he the dude who's playing Gimli from Lord of the Rings right now? And Sala? No, no, that's uh, uh, Matthew Rees. I think. Oh well, I was close. No, John. He's Rees actually Davies. quite large in real life. He's not uh, tiny. Yes, but he's got a beard. It'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> It'd be fun. I, it'd be fun. Be a fun take. I don't know. This is such a long episode. I, <laughs> I'm looking up Charles Manson's character. Uh, I yeah, cast Tom Cruise because he's little and he's crazy. I can get behind that. All right. Well, I yeah, think I, don't, I don't really have one. I, I will say that he has been played a number of times. And if I could draw somebody to a recent portrayal that I thought was pretty on point, it definitely was Mindhunter. And I think that that really does it for all of our segments. Mm-hmm. Lauren, is there anything you want people to know about? About Charles Manson or about me? <laughs> is there anything else about Charles Manson you want people to know? Um, no, I feel like we did a good job. We covered it well. All right. Lauren, is there anything you want to plug? <laughs> yeah, sure. I have a podcast. It's a coming out podcast where people tell their coming out stories. Um, and then we discuss other issues or topics in the queer community. Uh, you're actually expanding. Out. I'm sorry. I was just no, we are, expanding yeah, this. We are expanding so that, but, but coming out stories will always be, uh, at least, a at least a portion of it. The podcast is called coming out with Lauren and Nicole. It's at coming out pod everywhere. Yeah, and we've had some famouses on, like uh, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, and a lot of other folks. Lauren so Duca. Check it out. That's oh, awesome, yeah, Lauren Duca. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Lots of Very cool. Thank you so much again for coming by, Lauren. We have so much fun talking to you. This was really great. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk so much about Charles Manson, who I do still have a sick fascination with. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us, Lauren. It was really fun having you, as always. And I will see you tomorrow for our Zoom Harry and the Henderson screening. Oh, yeah. Another guy a lot like Charles Manson. Just Harry and lives in the the woods. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, yay. Bye, guys.
guys, nobody join a cult. They're very bad, even though they might seem enticing, depending on where you're at in your own life. And Lauren Vlans is gone. She's left the commune. All right. So I've got a little bit of admin to do before we go. First of all, uh, again, if you like us, please leave a review on Apple and also tweet at us at podcast, but evil. We'd love to hear from you guys, whatever you want to tell us uh, about the folks we've already covered, folks you want to hear us cover your thoughts on matchups, fan casting, anything at all, please send it our way. Yeah, we just got uh, a really great correction on Twitter today. Oh, we um, did. I think it was from Brian K. Because I had said in the Invisible Man podcast, I was trying to remember in Star Trek, if when you were cloaked, did you have your shields? And he said, you couldn't fire when cloaked. That was the limitation until they mm. decided that you could. So I guess you could still have your shields up, but you couldn't fire. And I appreciated right. that correction because that is something I should have known. Um, I also want to mention, Doug, in the past when we read a review, we got a review from a fun podcast called Go On, dot, dot, dot. That's an ellipsis there. If you're looking for it, Go On Ellipsis. And it's uh, definitely a kindred spirit podcast because uh, two washed up guys in their mid-20s overanalyze inconsequential everyday life things. So, uh, and we're two washed up guys in our, well, I'm 40 and you're in your late 30s. <laughs> no, we're so. two guys in our late 20s, just <laughs> yep. figuring out life. Anyway, they were very nice to give us a shout out and I told them that I would mention them on our podcast. So go Absolutely. on. If you want to find very a similar vibe, check them out. And we got a new review on the old iTunes as well. Uh, I got to find that. Um, great. Great. I have the perfect music for that. Good. There just to take good care of me. Like one of the family, the Manson family, Charles in charge of our days and our nights. Charles in charge of our loves and our rights. And I see. what? I mean, this is actually kind of perfect. <laughs> Creepily, yes. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, this is from Gator. I'm sorry, Gato Gordot. Which oh is yeah, like weird... I know. It's funny about these names on Apple Podcasts. They always seem just impossible to decipher. I don't know if people just make them up really fast. This is. It sounds like, like, a, it was like uh, I thought we had a review from Gal Gadot. I was like, <laughs> I said, yes, yeah, this, this is an alligator ate Gal Gadot. But this person wrote. It's called Joined at Q, but so much more. I tuned in on the Q episode because of the guest. Uh, thanks again to A. Ron Hubbard for joining us on that. I am listening to the rest. The unfamiliar evil subjects are far more interesting. The hosts are delightful. Well, I'm glad you enjoy that because we um, we do try to go out of our way to find different topics from different spectrums and different mediums and different places. And We so have sort I'm of some- a secret formula that we use. Yes. I never want to publicize because then you'll sort of see it. But we definitely do like to try to spread it around as much as possible. Absolutely. So um, in that vein, we should mention what we've got coming up. Next, it's uh, Professor Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. stories, followed by a real big one. We're going to do Walter White from Breaking Bad, of course. Uh, and then our next one after that is our first video game character, kind of a big one from the world of video games, which is Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. So, and uh, this was a point of discussion between Doug and myself because I am not a Final Fantasy player, but Doug insists that this is a big series and a character that people will have some familiarity with. So if you don't, you'll be in my shoes. So that'll be fun. And if you do, please let me know. I'd be very curious. 
nice to know. Uh, if I, can, is I somebody promise you, you know. if you look up uh, top ten lists of video game villains, he's usually okay. in there. So, yeah. uh, so Doug is of- using his. Uh, he's putting all his chips down on this one. <laughs> it's just what I, I really felt like we should do a video game villain. It was time. And uh, the mm-hmm. Final Fantasy games are known for being very story heavy. So there's actually a lot of like meat to talk about as opposed to like, yeah, you jump over some shit and there's a guy. So that'll be fun, too. So uh, we've got a lot King of good Koopa stuff will be mine. That'll be the one that I want to really drill deep on. <laughs> the Dennis Hopper King Koopa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's multiple incarnations, Doug. We'll get into all of it. All right. Uh, well, I think that covers plenty. So uh, thanks so much for listening. And, of course, till next time, gentlemen, do evil. Clink. Clink.